Um, so before we jump into the message, uh, real quick, if you are a parent or guardian of one of the people, or if you are getting baptized this morning, this is the time for you to slip out into the commons. Jeff Sherwood will be out there and uh, he's gonna help you all get ready and get prepared uh, for our baptisms here in just a little bit. Um, if you just wanna awkwardly slip out because you don't wanna hear the sermon, this is a great time for you to do that as well. Uh, go for it. <clears throat> uh, by the way, um, I think God found it humorous this morning to take my voice away. I know I don't have COVID because I had to pass COVID tests to go to Israel tomorrow, but um, um, yeah, anyway, that's just going to add to the humor and hilarity of this morning as we open our Bibles to the book of Esther. If you would, open your Bible to the book of Esther. This is going to be a great day as we celebrate God's faithfulness to us at Grace Bible Church for the last 68 years. Listen, there's not a lot of churches who can celebrate the fact that they've been around for 68 years, that God has been faithful to them for 68 years. And I can assure you that over the last 68 years, Grace has withstood some difficult days. We've had a lot of amazing days. But through it all, God has been faithful. And that's what we're celebrating together this morning. We're not celebrating us. We're not celebrating our pastors we're celebrating our Savior and his faithfulness to this church for the last 68 years. As you're opening up to the book of Esther, uh, one of the things I want you to see this morning, my goal for this morning, is to convince you that we need to have more fun, that we need to celebrate God's faithfulness to us on a more regular basis. One of the things Andy used to say all the time is that we need to take ourselves less seriously and we need to take God more seriously. And uh, one of the things I hope for this church moving forward is that we can continue this idea of holy celebrations, that we can rejoice together in the goodness of who God is and celebrate his faithfulness to us individually and as a church body. And so that's what we're gonna do together today. We're gonna celebrate and we're gonna exalt him and we're gonna use the book of Esther to guide us in that. You might be thinking, why the book of Esther? The book of Esther really is a book that's written to highlight God's faithfulness to the Jewish people. And the end result of the book of Esther is really to explain the basis of this festival, this celebration that the Jews celebrate each and every year, this festival called Purim. And so we're gonna look at the book of Esther together this morning with the eyes on this Feast of Purim. Now Purim, if, you've, if you're not familiar with the Feast of Purim, Purim has been described as a mixture of New Year's Day, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas all rolled into one Jewish holiday. It's a marvelous time. It's a time of celebration and excitement and joy and laughter over who God is and what he has done. And this year, the way it falls on the calendar, Jews across the world are going to be celebrating Purim on March the 16th, just a few days away. And so I thought that that fit very nicely with our celebration of God's faithfulness to this church for 68 years. So today, after this service, we're going to throw a Purim Palooza together. A Purim Palooza together. Uh, but to get there, let's take a look first at the book of Esther. Now, the book of Esther is a long book, and we would have to spend way too much time here if I were to go verse by verse through the entire book of Esther. That would not be fun for you at all, and today is supposed to be fun. And so we're just going to hit the highlights in the book of Esther. 
The book of Esther really is a book that's filled with parties. There are seven banquets that are thrown in the book of Esther. And we're going to take a look at some of those before we throw a party, a banquet, here in just a little bit. But to begin, let's take a look. Esther chapter 1. We're going to be introduced here in chapter 1 to a king, King Ahasuerus. He's the king of the Persians. And because he's the king, he's the man, he's in charge. And he throws a week-long party to show everybody how great he is, that he's the man, that he's in charge. It's a week-long party. Notice Esther chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Esther chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. It says, when these days were completed, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days for all the people who were present at the citadel in Susa, from the greatest to the least in the court of the garden of the king's palace. And notice this party. Imagine this. There were hangings of fine white and violet linen held by cords of fine purple linen on silver rings and marble columns and couches of gold and silver on mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks, notice this verse 7, drinks were served in golden vessels of various kinds, and the royal wine was plentiful according to the king's bounty. This sounds like a great party, doesn't it? I mean, imagine if after we leave here this morning out in the commons, there's couches of gold and silver, the finest supply of the king's wine flowing. This would be a great party for us all, right? That's not what we're going to do this morning, but it's still going to have fun. We're still going to have fun this morning. Uh, but notice, as, as this story continues, as this week-long party of King Ahasuerus continues, drunken King Ahasuerus decides that he wants to impress all of his buddies there at the party. And he's going to do this by showing off the beauty of his wife. Notice Esther chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. On the seventh day of this banquet, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, this is a nice way of saying that he was drunk, he commanded these guys with difficult to pronounce names, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the princes, for she was beautiful. So at the end of this party, this week-long party, the wine is flowing. King Ahasuerus decides, again, he wants to show off the beauty of his wife. And so he summons Queen Vashti, and he tells her to wear her royal crown to show off her beauty in front of all of his friends. Now, some commentators, by the way, say that when King Ahasuerus summoned Queen Vashti to wear her royal crown, he summoned her to wear only her royal crown, which is why perhaps she refuses the king's summoning. Notice verse 12. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. And the king became very angry, and his wrath burned within him. So here's the situation. Again, the king, he's the man, or he thinks he's the man. He throws this week-long party, and he's tried to impress all his buddies. And then now he's summoned his wife to show off her beauty, and she's refused. She will not come. 
So now all of the men in the room realize that they have a problem because if their wives learn that Queen Vashti did not obey the king, then none of their wives are gonna obey them, right? And so all of the men now at the party began to panic a little bit and they try to figure out exactly what they're gonna do. And so they uh, essentially banish Queen Vashti from the king's presence. And she's forever banished from his presence. And I would guess, this is speculation, that she's probably greatly relieved because he's really not all that great of a guy. And so notice what happens in verse 22. A decree is sent out. Verse 22 of chapter 1 says, Letters were sent to all the king's provinces, to each province according to its script, and to every people according to their language. And here's what it says. That every man should be the master in his own house and the one who speaks in the language of his own people. And so it's written in the law of the Medes and the Persians. It cannot be revoked that the man is the master of the house, despite the fact that Vashti refused the summoning of the king. And this is all background. Queen Vashti's now been set aside, and sometime later, the king decides that he needs a new wife. And so sadly, all of the beautiful women are forced to appear before the king so he can pick his next wife. And let me pause right here and say something. Uh, overall, the book of Esther is meant to be a very funny book. It's meant to be a very humorous book. It's meant to be a book that when we read it, we laugh. But there are certainly some elements here in the story that are not funny. Like when these women are forced against their will to appear before the king so he can choose one of them to be his bride. When women are basically treated as property, that's not funny. Or later in the story, uh, there's gonna be a wicked plot to annihilate, to kill off all of the Jewish people. This is not a funny thing. So even though overall the story of the book of Esther is, is intended to be humorous and funny and entertaining, there are certainly elements along the way that are not. But that's a reminder to us, as we'll see later, that God can use even the dark and difficult circumstances of life ultimately to do something for his own glory. So as we read through this kind of painful portion, bear with me as we take a look, because now it enters into the story Esther. Esther, really the hero of the story. Esther's one of these women who is summoned before the king. And notice chapter two, verses 17 and 18. <clears throat> it says, the king loved Esther more than all the women. And she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great banquet. Again, there's all of these banquets in the story. Esther's banquet for all his princes and his servants. And he made a holiday for the princes and gave gifts according to the king's bounty. Again, as we read through this story, there are some disturbing things along the way. But God is going to use it, as we'll see here in just a bit. So again, that's all kind of background. And meanwhile, while all of this is happening, we're introduced to another character, a man by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai is Esther's uncle. 
And Mordecai, we see next, has a very fortuitous event happen to him. Notice verses 21 and 22 of chapter 2. As Esther is made queen, notice verses 21, 22, and 23 of chapter 2. In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's officials from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And now when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on the gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. And so as Esther is made queen, her uncle Mordecai, again, he's blessed to be in the right place at the right time. He, quote unquote, just so happens to overhear this plan to assassinate King Ahasuerus. And so he then reports this wicked plan to Esther. Esther reports it to the king, and then the two guys who wanted to assassinate the king are killed. This is a very important element in the story that's going to come into play in just a little bit. Also, meanwhile, as this is happening, we're introduced to a wicked man by the name of Haman. This is another one of these disturbing elements in the book of Esther as Haman is going to devise this plan to kill off all of the Jewish people. Now, real quick, let's take a pause from the story for just a second. Over the years, since the writing of the book of Esther, different traditions have developed around the book of Esther and around the Feast of Purim. And one of the fun traditions revolving around the book of Esther and the Feast of Purim is that when the story of Esther is read aloud, any time you hear Haman's name mentioned, you're supposed to boo and hiss and stomp your feet to drown out the name of Haman. And so as we read the next verses, as I read the next verses, you are going to boo and hiss and stomp your feet to drown out his name. This is the only time it's going to be socially acceptable to boo me as I'm preaching. So make the most of it. Take your chance while you got it. Let me read for you Esther chapter, one, uh, chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 as we hear about this wicked plot. Get ready. Esther chapter 3, verse 1. After these events, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman. Much, much better than first service. Thank you. After these events, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. All the king's servants who were at the king's gate, notice this, bowed down and paid homage to Haman. Thank you. So the king had commanded concerning him, but Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why are you transgressing the king's command? Now it was when they had spoken daily to him and he would not listen to them that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman 
saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Notice this. For they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore, Haman sought to destroy not only Mordecai, but all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Well done. You can keep it up as we continue, by the way. So notice, this is a bit of an overreaction, right? So wicked Haman is offended because Mordecai won't bow down to him. And in retaliation, he decides not only to kill Mordecai, but to kill all of Mordecai's people. And so this wicked plan is hatched by Haman. And notice verse 13. Notice verse 13. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to seize their possessions as plunder. I mean, again, this is like the overreaction of all overreactions, right? Just because he isn't bowed down to by Mordecai, Haman uses his authority, thank you, to set this day where all the Jewish people would be killed. And then that brings us to chapter four and what is probably the most famous and most quoted verses in the book of Esther. Because once this plan is spread about, as word of this day of the annihilation of the Jewish people spreads, Mordecai hears of it, he informs Esther, and notice what he says to Esther, what he communicates to Esther starting in verse 13 of chapter four. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows, Esther, whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. So a couple things I want you to notice here in Mordecai's words to Esther. Number one, Mordecai has the faith. He understands that God has promised to preserve his people. And so Mordecai in his words here knows that somehow, some way, God is gonna preserve the Jewish people, that this plan to kill them all off is not going to succeed. And then he says to Esther, he writes to Esther and he says, the whole reason perhaps why you were made queen is for such a time as this, that God is gonna use the situation in your life ultimately for his glory. And again, this is a remarkable lesson for you and I that even in the difficult and dark times of our life, God can use it for reasons beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension, God sometimes allows evil things to take place. But each and every time, he can use the circumstances of our life ultimately for his glory. It's a remarkable lesson here from the book of Esther. So what does Esther do? As we keep reading in the story of Esther, as the story continues, 
Esther decides that she's going to throw a banquet because, again, that's pretty much all people do in the book of Esther is they throw parties. So Esther throws a banquet. Again, there's seven total in the book in order to convince King Ahasuerus to do something about this wicked plan. So she throws a banquet. And at the banquet, she announces she's going to throw another banquet because, again, that's what people do. And between these two banquets in the book of Esther, Esther's two banquets, some very interesting things take place. Between these two banquets, Haman, thank you, is still furious that Mordecai will not bow down to him. And so he builds a gallows on which he plans to hang Mordecai. More on that in a bit. And also happening between these two banquets, King Ahasuerus, he's having a little trouble falling asleep that night. And so he just so happens to have a bedtime story read to him. And it just so happens that his bedtime story comes from that book of the Chronicles of his kingly rule. And it just so happens that the story that's read to him that night is the story of how Mordecai saved him from being assassinated. And as he's laying there in bed, he thinks, did I ever do anything for this guy who saved me? And the answer is no. And so he thinks, well, I've got to do something for this guy who saved me from being assassinated. And so he calls Haman in to his presence. And he asks Haman, what should I do for a guy that the king wishes to honor? Now Haman, thank you, Haman in his pride thinks that the king is talking about him. And in a beautiful twist of irony, rather than Haman being honored by the king. Notice what happens in chapter 6, verse 11. So Haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Again, you have to love the humor and the irony in the book of Esther, despite the difficult things. The fact that God would use all of this in order to honor Mordecai is just beautiful. Well, finally, we come to the second banquet that Esther throws. And King Ahasuerus, at the second banquet, he basically asks Esther, hey, what's going on? What's the purpose of this? Why are you throwing so many parties for me? And it's there at that second banquet that Queen Esther replies. Notice chapter 7, verse 3. Queen Esther replied and said, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people as my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. Now, if we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent for the trouble would not be commensurate with the annoyance of the king. Then King Ahasuerus asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he who would presume to do this? Verse 6, and Esther said, a foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. And then Haman became terrified before the king and the queen. And again, in another beautiful twist of irony, 
In chapter 7, verse 10, Haman is hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Notice chapter 7, verse 10. So they hanged Haman on the gallows which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. So finally, in the midst of all of this tension, this evil man Haman is taken care of. Thank you. But there's still a problem. Because King Ahasuerus had declared a specific day. He determined a specific day on which all of the Jewish people were to be killed and annihilated. And this was written, it was set in stone by the the law of the Medes and the Persians. It cannot be revoked. So something still must be done about this day. So to make a very long story short, basically King Ahasuerus declares another law in which he says, on this day, now the Jewish people are permitted to defend themselves. And as it all comes to pass, the Jewish people end up victorious. God saves the day. He preserves the Jewish people just like he has promised to do. And all of this is really the background to the point of Purim. The major takeaway, the major application really from the book of Esther is to explain why every year the Jewish people celebrate the Feast of Purim. Notice chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. At the end of it all, notice chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, therefore they called these days Purim, or Lots, after the name of Pur. And because of the instructions in this letter, both what they had seen in this regard and what had happened to them, the Jews established, notice this, and made a custom for themselves and their descendants and for all who allied themselves with them so that they would not fail to celebrate these two days according to their regulation and according to their appointed time annually. So really, one of the purposes of the book of Esther is to explain why every year the Jewish people have this party. It's to explain why every year the Jewish people notice the word celebrate these two days according to God's faithfulness and how he preserved them as a people during the time of Esther. So this is a very quick, rapid-paced overview of the book of Esther. There's just a few things I want you to take note of in terms of application, things I want you to see here in the passage. The first one, this has been noted by many people, that as you read through the book of Esther, God's name is never mentioned. God never speaks. He's never spoken about in the book of Esther. But clearly, we see God's hand of providence, God's hand of protection over the Jewish people. All of these so-called events that take place are God's invisible hand of sovereignty guiding the story along the way. All of the meanwhiles, and it just so happens in our life as well, are indications of God working in us even when we don't see it. And again, I've mentioned this earlier, but even in the difficult times of life, even in the challenging moments of our faith, we can be reassured here through the book of Esther that God is still there. He is still faithful even when we don't seem to see it. God is still there. He's not silent. He's not apathetic. He's still faithful even when we don't see it. And because of God's invisible hand of faithfulness to the Jewish people, the second thing I want you to see here is that, again, the Feast of Purim is established for the Jewish people. 
as an annual feast, an annual celebration, an annual time for the Jewish people to recognize who God is and what he has done. And in three days on March the 16th, Jews all around the world are going to be celebrating the Feast of Purim. But I also want you to notice this phrase in verse 27 of chapter 9, that this custom is established not only for the Jewish people, but notice that phrase there in the middle, for all those who allied themselves with them. In other words, this feast, this celebration, this party is opened up not only to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles as well. That we too can celebrate God's faithfulness to preserve the Jewish people. It's through the Jewish people, if you'll recall, that we got the Old Testament, much of the New Testament, and of course, our Savior and Messiah. So of all people, we should be celebrating and rejoicing that God preserved the Jewish people these years ago. The third thing I want you to see here in the book of Esther is the importance of humor and celebration. Despite the darkness, despite the bad things that happen here, the book of Esther is meant really to be a party. It's meant to be a reminder of the importance of celebrating who God is and his faithfulness to us. The seven banquets here in the book of Esther, I think, are communicating that to us. The fact that the takeaway from the book of Esther is to throw a Purim party is a reminder to us that we should be celebrating God's faithfulness to us. And again, over the years, as traditions have uh, emerged around the Feast of Purim, there's tons of things that go on each and every year. Uh, Each and every year, here in just a few days, Jews around the world, little kids are going to be dressed up in costumes. You'll have little girls dressed up as Esther. You'll have little Jewish boys dressed up as Mordecai, maybe even some as Haman. Thank you. You drown out the name of Haman every time his name is mentioned. It's meant to be a huge party, a great time of celebration. And one of the traditions is that many Jewish people believe that even in the times of the Messiah, when the Messiah rules and reigns, Purim will still be celebrated. That Jewish people forevermore will be celebrating God's deliverance and preservation of them as a people. And so we're going to do a little bit of that today. We're going to throw a Purim Palooza party here in just a few minutes. But before we get there, I do want to say this. I think again that celebration and having fun is something we as the church ought to do more often. Sometimes churches feel more like mortuaries than places of worship, right? Uh, Sometimes they're so stale, they're so dry, it's like fun is not allowed in the building. And we need to do away with that idea. We of all people have the most reason to celebrate and rejoice. And Purim for us is a reminder of that. The Jews celebrate Purim because God saved them physically. As Christians, we can celebrate Purim because God has saved us spiritually. And as the traditions of Purim emerged over time, this has become a holiday that's really meant to communicate to children, to grandchildren, that our worship of God is supposed to be fun, not boring. So a couple ways uh, that I would suggest to you in terms of application. Uh, You've all had moments in your life, dark times, difficult times, where through it all, God has proven to be faithful. I would suggest to you as a loose application from the book of Esther 
to think through those times in your life, to mark the date, to put it on your calendar and annually throw a party in recognition of who God is and what he has done. For some of you, maybe that's a day where you um, got the clear and you no longer have cancer. Uh, Maybe it's a a day um, when you were saved or when you were baptized. In our family, every year we celebrate uh, the day when our oldest daughter, Chloe, when uh, her heart condition was fixed. And we put it on our calendar and we rejoice and celebrate God's faithfulness to us. These are things that I think we need to do more often as believers, not just on Purim, but throughout our calendar year. Think of different days, different times that you need to celebrate. And we're going to do that together this morning. Today we're going to celebrate God's grace to Grace Bible Church over the last 68 years, his faithfulness to this church for 68 years. We're throwing a party right after the service and all of you are invited. Because when that group of people met together in 1954 to talk about forming a new church, I bet they couldn't have imagined what God was gonna do through this body. For 68 years, the stories of lives that have been changed and impacted through God, by God through this particular group, this church. The missionaries who would be spread out all over the world proclaiming the gospel. These are things that we need to celebrate and we're gonna celebrate today. And so, here in just a few minutes, immediately after the service, we're going to throw a party. We're going to have 13 people get baptized today. 13 people get baptized. We're going to sing God's praises together. We're going to eat and feast. We have bounce houses out there. We're going to have a ton of fun. All a part of our mission to equip, engage, and exalt God for who he is and for what he has done. So your one thing for this week is really simple. Just stick around and celebrate this Purimpalooza with us. And so here's the deal. It's time to party. At this time, I wanna ask um, if you have a child in our Grace Kids ministry to slip out, go grab your children, and come immediately back here into the sanctuary. Meanwhile, we're all gonna sing a few more songs We're gonna celebrate together God's faithfulness through 13 people getting baptized. Then we're gonna have some food and have some fun. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your faithfulness to this church for 68 years. Father, it's not about us. It's not about anybody who has stood in the pulpit. It's not about anybody who sits in the pew. Ultimately, it's all about you. Father, I thank you for each and every person here, those watching online, for the stories of your faithfulness to them. I thank you for these 13 people who we get to celebrate your faithfulness to them today. Help us to have fun. Help us to celebrate. Help us to rejoice and exalt in who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.